0: To Jews, to proselytes, to Gentiles, and gave all direct access to God in Christ simply by faith. <laughs> not by following rules or laws or keeping the traditions of the Old Testament, but simply by faith. Large numbers of Gentiles came into the church without circumcision, not by way of Moses or Judaism, not as Jewish proselytes, but directly. And this disturbed some of the Jewish Christians who valued the traditions of the covenant and wanted them continued and applied also to Gentile converts. Even some maintained that circumcision was, quote, necessary for salvation. Right? So that was the belief. There's a big old apostolic council that happened in Acts chapter 15. And in, in that debate, is that very issue. What's the issue that we're talking about? Can someone be a believer in Jesus Christ by faith alone? Or must they also, not only have faith, they're not saying don't have faith, but along with faith, must also keep the Old Testament laws, rules, and regulations. That was the big debate in the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. It was finally determined then that a yoke of legal demands should not be placed on Gentiles Because, and here's what they said in Acts 15, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. I think of all of the church councils that have ever, ever happened, all throughout history, this one was the most important. This was the point where the church said, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. It was here at this council in Acts 15 that that was first clearly pronounced. So they made this uh, decision, this pronouncement, or as I wrote, this spirit-guided decision was published throughout the church. And yet, some continued to press for circumcision and the ceremonial laws. Some even took it upon themselves to go to Paul's Gentile congregations in Galatia, for example, with quote, official teaching from Jerusalem that held that circumcision and obedience to ceremonial laws were needed to complete their life in Christ. Right? So this should be a review thing. We've talked about this already. What did we call those folks who believed in Jesus but still believed you needed to add rules and laws to it? Judaizers. Right? So this group of people, the Judaizers, kind of came in Paul's wake, wherever Paul went to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, free by grace through faith, they would show up afterwards and say, well, Paul was right, mostly. He, he didn't say anything that was untrue, but he left out a lot of other things. So let me tell you what those are, because we have official credentials from Jerusalem, and we can say what, tell you what the real truth is. Can you see it? Can you just imagine what that must have been like for the people in Galatia? We're like, wait a minute. Paul said, we don't have to do these things that we just have to believe in Jesus. Now you're telling us we have to do these things? Okay, that's what you say. So they started doing those things. And when Paul heard about it, right, did he just say, oh, that's kind of sad? Was he like, that's, you know, that's no big deal, you know, so... They're getting circumcised and they're still obeying the law. That's that's no big deal. He has a cow, doesn't he, or whatever you have in in Galatia, <laughs> right? Right. He he cannot stand it because what is at stake here? This is why this is so important. What is at stake? What's at stake is the gospel, as Paul is going to clearly tell us. There are not many Gospels, and you can just choose which one that you like. There's not many truths, and you can just choose the one that fits with your lifestyle, that fits with your beliefs. He says there is one Gospel, and any other, quote, Gospel is no Gospel. It is a perversion. That's the word he's going to use that we'll talk about. So you can see what's at stake for him. It's not just some rules. What's at stake is the gospel. All right? All good, everybody? Bottom paragraph. In Galatians, then, Paul defends his apostleship and the gospel he proclaimed. He argued, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Do you ever think what would happen if God wouldn't have called St. Paul? I mean, think about what this guy did think about what this guy helped us understand about the gospel understand about God understand about what Jesus did for us on the cross. understand about our response to that I mean he changed the world in his idea of what how it is that we're saved in Christ just like I, I, what I'm thinking is how many times I take for granted this the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love I'm like yeah duh everybody knows that right? But not everybody did know that until St. Paul came along. He's the one who said, it's not about you. It's not about your works. It's not about your sacrifices. Every other religion in the world up to that point was about what you do to get the gods to love you, what you do to please the gods, what you do to earn the gods favor. Every religion in the world Up to that point in time, it was about works, sacrifice, laws to get the gods to love you. St. Paul comes around and says, no, I I should say that. Take that back. Jesus came along and said, no. And St. Paul was the one who clearly articulated and taught that, that truth to us that we still hold near and dear today. Right? So just don't run over that little statement. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. That's A life-changing, world-changing statement. You with me, everybody? All right, next page. So is it any wonder that sometimes Galatians is called Luther's book because he turned to it so frequently in his work of returning the church's teaching to a true gospel base? In Luther's fight in the Reformation about works and about indulgences and about works righteousness, he often used the book of Galatians in his writings. Because that's the same issue that St. Paul was having in Galatia was the same issue that St. Paul was happening with the church in Rome. You see? Same issue. So it's often called Galatians the Magna Carta of evangelical Christianity because of its emphasis on Christian freedom. So let's do a quick review. Some of the things we've already talked about, I hope Pastor Aaron talked about this last week anyway. I'm assuming he did. Can we just assume that he did? All right, good. (laughs) Why did Paul make such a point of his being an apostle? Remember in verse one, he starts off, Paul, I'm an apostle sent not from men, but by Jesus Christ. Is he just got some like ego problems or what? Is he just pride and boast? Is he boasting right here? No, you learned that he was doing this because people were undermining his authority. These Judaizers were coming in saying, Paul's not an apostle. Paul has no authority. Paul can't, who is Paul to tell you what's right? He doesn't have the Jewish uh, background of the believers that we do. So he starts off just having to defend his apostleship and that his his apostleship comes from what? What did he say? Not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me. Right? So he just states, listen, if you don't, this is my favorite phrase. You've maybe heard me. I do this one all the time when someone's arguing with me about something that's in the Bible, I just stop. And I go, listen, don't take it up with me. If you don't like it, talk to him. Right? Cause I'm not the one that made this up. I'm not the one who said this. Don't don't take it up with me. I'm just speaking for the one who gave us the word. That's what St. Paul is saying here. It's not a person that sent me. It's not me. I was sent by God. It's God's word. Right? So he argues strong for his apostleship in the very beginning. Then the second review question. Don't you love what he says in verse 3? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, don't you love what he did? Let's look at the words, grace and peace. These were common greetings in the letters of that day. Not just Paul's letters, but all letters. People would often start with grace and peace. But Paul, you know, made these words different right? What's grace for Paul? Saint Paul knew grace was undeserved love, right? So when he says grace, he's not just saying God's, you know, good peace or good feelings or grace to him means undeserved love. So when he says grace to you, he's reminding you that you are loved by God. He's reminding you that God sent his one and only son for you. He's reminding you that you have this undeserved love of God freely given in Christ Jesus, all in this one little word, grace. So he says grace to you, and then peace. The word that Paul uses for peace is not just a lack of problems. Peace doesn't mean a lack of adversity or um, a lack of um, turmoil in life, but peace is a sense of well-being that comes from a relationship in God. So where does this grace and peace come from for St. Paul? He says it in the next verses. From God our Father. And so he connects the grace and peace that he's speaking to the God of the Old Testament. The Father God, the Old Testament. And he says, comes to us from God our Father and from the Lord. Now who is what does Lord mean? Like the one who rules, our master, our Lord, right? Our Lord. And by the way, his name is Jesus the Christ, right? Get that word the in there. Not Jesus Christ, the son of Mary and Joseph Christ. We know this, right? But Jesus the Christ. So this grace and peace comes from God the Father and from the Lord who, by the way, is Jesus, who, by the way, is the promised Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. All of that in these little words. And we just hear these words, don't we? We just zip right past them. But there's power in those words. Because of the God, the Father, and because of the Lord, whose name is Jesus, who is also the Christ, we have grace and peace. Amen? And that's why he says, amen. So right after that, after this nice little greeting, boom, he gets out the guns, doesn't he? So uh, Paul usually began his letters to the churches with some commendations of the good things that were happening among them, but not this time. (laughs) He jumps right to the problem at hand. And so what does he say? I am astonished. Many different translations of the Bible use all different words for that astonished. I printed this little picture on your back page. I am amazed. That's a word you'll often see in other translations. Uh, I am dismayed. I've seen that one also for a translation of that word, right? The point is, I am shocked. I cannot believe my ears, is what we would say today. Or well, that's what my mother would say to me after I did something stupid or said something dumb. I cannot believe my ears, right? This is what St. Paul is saying. And what had what his ears heard? I cannot believe my ears, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So what is this different gospel that's got St. Paul so riled up? That's not really a gospel at all, but a perversion of the gospel of Christ. What is it? It's works. It's, it's um, I, I call it Jesus plus. Right. That's that's this other gospel. It's not that the other gospel didn't have any Jesus and had a lot of Jesus in it. But it was you need to believe in Jesus and and as soon as you have an and you have strayed from the true gospel to another gospel. You've moved into Jesus plus because you all know that it's not Jesus plus it's Jesus, period. You all know it's not Jesus and it's Jesus only. You know this, right? That, that Jesus, when he died on the cross and said, it is finished, he meant it. Right? It, it is finished. There's no more plus. There's no more and. There's no more buts. He said, it is finished. It's just one word in Greek. Right? It is finished. So there is no plus. So St. Paul says that's another gospel. And he's shocked that they're so quickly turning to it. Um so look at two, this got me thinking, how could it, or maybe St. Paul is wondering the same, how could you so quickly turn, he says. It's not just that they turned, but it's how fast that they turned away from the true gospel to these other gospels. And that's what got me thinking question two, long Long-standing convictions can often be abandoned overnight. Like, just think about our world today. I put this, give some examples of truths that have been just discarded lately. I mean, just think about, I I see this sort of progression that happened in these last years. First thing that got attacked was the Bible. You know, there was a time when there was not a single Christian that ever questioned that the Bible was the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. See, the first thing that happened, people began to, to quickly... Abandon the inerrancy of Scripture. And as soon as people began to believe that we're smarter than God, that we know better than God, that our word is better than God's words, that most of the word of God is the word, but the things that we don't like are not the word of God, as soon as we began to play and toy with the inerrancy of Scripture, the rug was just yanked right out from under us. That was step one. Then the next thing that that started to get eroded that just has changed our world, I believe, is marriage. Marriage began to be under attack. And marriage, this institution that God gave, not made up by man or people, this God institution that marriage was intended for a man and a woman, to come together to become one flesh, united together by God, so that they might grow a family and raise their children in the way that they should go, with a mom and a dad and a family, right? As soon as marriage and the family was then attacked, that opened the door for the next big thing, which is this whole human sexuality thing. You know, that now the, the, the lines are so blurred, about God's creation of man and woman in the image of God, that now there is no distinction any longer. There's pronouns you can use. It doesn't, you know, I still don't understand how all that works. You know, what pronoun you're supposed to call someone, or is someone a man or a woman or a male or a female or a he or a she? I don't know how to say it anymore. All I know is whatever I say, I seem to get in trouble for. Right? Because what we used to know, what everybody just knew, That men and women were created by God to be men and women is just, And how fast did that happen? Could you hear St. Paul say, I am astonished how quickly you have abandoned the truth of how God created you in the beginning. Could you hear St. Paul say that? So once human sexuality went, once the family went, once human life was so degraded that it could be whatever you want it to be, the next thing to go was life in the womb. Life has no value anymore until we give it value. Life isn't valuable, has no rights until I decide that that little fetus has rights. And now we, uh, we murder millions of little babies every year. You know what I'm saying? How quickly we have abandoned the truth of God for the lies of our world. Does it sound like anything St. Paul is saying? I am astonished how quickly you have turned from the gospel, or in our case, the truth of God. So I'm sorry if you feel like I got up on a little soapbox right there, but uh, here's what I believe. I believe just as quickly as it changed, it can quickly change back. Right? So don't I just keep trying to encourage all of us to not give up. You know, it's easy It feel like we've lost or we're losing, that the truth doesn't hold any longer, so we should just move along, take the easy route and go with everybody else, you know. Uh, but that's not what we're called to do, are we? The Word of God is true now, and it will be true always and forever. And we're called to stand on that Word, aren't we? So last little, my last little soapbox. I think today we use this phrase a lot. We need to speak the truth in love. Would you agree? I do too. We should speak the truth in love. But do you know what we do? I think we focus on the love part and we abandon the speak the truth part. See, I'm afraid that this is what we've done lately. We've said, well, it's more important that we love each other than it is to speak truth. No, it's not. Both of these things are equally important that we speak the truth in love. They're not, they, they are not mutually exclusive. They work together hand in hand to do one without the other is incorrect to speak the truth, but not love is wrong to love, but not speak the truth is wrong. These things need to go hand in hand. And I think more now than ever, it's important for us to speak true. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm off my soapbox, but I'm not, I'm going to get on it again. So let's look at three. Is there a difference in changing a doctrine, in changing a tradition? I think there is. There's a huge difference. What I mean by doctrine is a truth, to change a truth, right? Note what Paul says in verse 6. He equates a change of doctrine in verse 6 with deserting him who called you. Let me read this again, verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So in Paul's mind, to turn away from the truth or to turn away from the gospel is to actually turn away from God, who has called us and saved us and brought us into the family of God. Do you see how he one and one equates this? You know? So... There is a big difference in changing a doctrine, changing a truth, and changing a tradition. Traditions are just things that we like. Truths are things that are true now, always, and forever. You get it? I think I wrote a devotion once. Truth is, you know, a tradition is that I think that uh, chocolate mousse royale is the best flavor at 31 flavors. My wife thinks it's mint chocolate chip. She's wrong. I'm right. See, (laughs) right, that's a tradition. What you like is a tradition. Uh, The doctrines, those things don't change. To change a doctrine is to desert God himself. Question four. In verse seven, then, look at this. He says, you are turning to a gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Did you notice he used the word gospel twice? And again, those of you who study the word with me, you know, whenever a word is used more than once, you need to take notice, don't you? So he uses the word gospel here twice. So what does gospel mean? I wrote it in your page, right? Gospel literally means good news or glad tidings, right? That's what the word means. So why does Paul think that the word gospel is inappropriate for the work-oriented teachers of his opponents, the Judaizers? He says what they're doing is not gospel. It's no gospel. Think about it. If gospel is good news and glad tidings, what they're teaching is not good news and it's not glad tidings. It's just the opposite. It's bad news and it's bad tidings. That's why it's not gospel to Paul. But the gospel says you're saved by grace. Their gospel says you're saved by your works. Why is it bad news that you're saved by your works? Why is that not good tidings that you're saved by works? How are you all doing on it? Not so good, I imagine. Right? That's the bad news. The bad news of works righteousness is you will always lose. The bad news of works righteousness is you can never do enough. The bad news of works righteousness is it's designed for you to fail. Do you think that sounds like good news? If I told you, come on, we're all going to join this group that we're going to fail, we're going to lose, and we're never going to feel good about ourselves, would you say, oh, that's good. I'm joining that group. That's good tidings. I'm in. You would not. And that's what St. Paul is saying. Their thing is not gospel. It's not good news. It's not glad tidings. It's bad news. You all get that? I love how he says, it. it is no gospel. Five, there are two other verses in the Bible that use this verb, uh, metastrophacy. And it's the word which means pervert. Do you see it in verse 7? They're throwing you in a conversion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Their gospel, works righteousness, is not just anti-gospel. It perverts the gospel. Now, I want you to see the other two times how this word is used in the Bible. It is so meaningful. You'll understand so much more what uh, St. Paul means by this false gospel perverting the real gospel. So let's look at these verses. Uh, Start off with, isn't the first one, Acts 2? I lost my place. Acts 2.20. If you'll turn there in your Bibles, please. Acts 2.20 says, The Son will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So the Greek word here that's translated will be turned is the same word that's translated in Galatians as perverted. So you could read this verse 20. The sun will be perverted to darkness and the moon will be perverted to blood. So, do you see this word, to pervert something, means something has changed radically. And it's changed radically for the worse. That's the meaning here, that the sun is turned to darkness. That's about as opposite as it can be, right? And the moon will be turned to blood, right? So, this word pervert means to change something radically for the worse. And now, if you look to James, there's one other time where this word is used, only three times in the whole Bible. Here in James 4.9, in 4.9, it says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Then this word change is really the same word used for pervert. In Galatians, the same word used in Acts 2, for to change the sun to darkness. Change, pervert your laughter to mourning and pervert your joy to gloom. So again, do you see this word is meant something that something is changed radically in a worse way. Here, laughter is perverted into mourning and joy is perverted into gloom. So now you can go back to Galatians, now that you see the the meaning of this word. And listen again, it's really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So what's that word mean there to the gospel? Trying to change the gospel in a radical way that turns it into something opposite or worse than it is. This word pervert is just loaded word for those hearers. Who would have heard it? (laughs) Paul is not mincing words is the point, right? These false gospels are not little ancillary, uh, unimportant issues, but they are crucial to the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You all with me so far? You see why he's so riled up? All right, number six. Why had the Galatians found this different gospel plausible? Why in the why in the world did they even consider changing from Paul's gospel to these false gospels? What do you think, Tess? Well, because we, we gotta do something, isn't he you hear what he's saying? He's right. He's, this is the way the world works, isn't it? You don't get something for free. Do you ever get something for free? Talk about. Let's ask Uncle Sam if you ever get something for free, right? You don't. If you get something for free, you're always wary that there's a hook, right? Right? You just know that there's something somewhere. We know how it works in this world. If you're good, you get rewarded. If you're bad, you get punished. That's the way things are supposed to work, right? If you work hard, you earn something, right? That's the way it works in this world. But that's not the way it works with the gospel, is it? it is absolutely contrary to the ways of the world. Absolutely contrary to the way we think things should work. Right? It's it's just the opposite. Instead, we get what we don't deserve. Instead, we get what we need, now what we deserve. Do you see? It's just crazy how God flipped this upside down. But this human nature that we are in this world in which we live is designed differently. It is a dog-eat-dog world. It is a survival-of-the-fittest kind of a world, isn't it? But not so with the gospel. So is it any wonder that when the Judaizers come back later and say, you know what, it's really not that free. You still got to do some stuff. Is it any wonder that they didn't say, I knew the hook was coming. I just knew it. I just knew it couldn't be that free. I knew sooner or later I was going to have to do something. I was going to have to pay for this. You know, so it's like, yep, come on in. I knew this was coming. What do I need to do? Circumcision? Oh, really? (laughs) You know, so, you know, is it any wonder that they would easily turn? Because that's the way it works. That's the way it worked in their world. And God is just turning everything upside down. And he still is, isn't he? Right? You might think, man, those 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 silly people. I'm glad I'm not so silly. But, right? Do you ever treat God like he owes you something? Do you ever say, like, why does God let bad things happen to good people? If you ever say that or think that, do you know what you're really saying? What you're really saying is God should reward good people for the good things they do. And he said, punish bad people for the bad things they do. If you've ever said to yourself, that person didn't deserve that from God, you know what you've just fallen into? Works righteousness. You are guilty of believing that God rewards people because they're good and punishes people because they're bad. That's not the way God works. Right? Do you know this? Just please nod your head like this if you understand this. Right. That's why when you're watching your TV preachers on Sunday morning that say, if you'll just give to my ministry, God will bless you in ways beyond belief. And that's why you get your checkbook out and you write a million dollars and send it straight to them. Right. You know, it doesn't work that way. Right. It doesn't. It's it's a perversion of the gospel to believe that that we are saved by our works. All right, so I just did six and seven together, by the way, uh, and eight actually. <laughs> what ways are we tempted to adopt a similar Jesus plus attitude? This is number eight. Like we'd love to be able to believe that I'm kind of good enough for God's grace. You know, if if you think that, you know, I've tried hard and God's getting a pretty good deal on me. I had a pretty good week. You know, we could take a little pride in that, right? Wrong. But don't you see how easy it is to fall into that trap? To fall into thinking, you know, if I pray hard enough, then grandma will get better. If I pray hard enough, my kids will go back to church. If I give, then I'll get back. It's That's the temptation that is still strong in our world today, in our hearts too. We have to be careful, don't we? We have to be careful. So nine, why was Paul so worked up about this issue that he was ready to say even twice That these false teachers should go to hell? Did you see how he said it twice? Let me read. Eight. Even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be, what? Eternally condemned. There's a word there uh, in the Greek to be cursed. To uh, anathema is the word. Verse 9, again, he repeats it. As we have already said, so now I say again. If anybody is preaching you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. He doesn't just say it once, he says it twice. Right? Twice. So why is he so riled up? What's at stake? The gospel. And if you really want to make it really, I mean, what's at stake isn't, it, it's not just the gospel, but what does the gospel represent? what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's what's at stake. When you add works to it, what you're saying is what Jesus did on the cross is not enough. That when Jesus sacrificed his perfect life for you and me, that it wasn't good enough because we still need to add our own little part, our own little piece. So Paul says anyone who says that, who believes that, uh, should be eternally condemned. That's pretty strong, and he uses this words that I printed Deuteronomy and Joshua. If you look up those verses, you would see those are the that there was that curse or that ban that that in the Old Testament was used to send eternally uh, eternally give things to God. Arlo? Oh yeah. By the way, that's twenty one twenty three, not thirty two. Sorry about that. I had a misprint on that one. It says Deuteronomy 21, 32. It's actually Deuteronomy 21, 23. Had a little dyslexia there. But yeah, if you look at verse 23, that's where you'll find that anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. You want to talk about a powerful verse of Scripture? That Deuteronomy passage, right? Anyone who is hung on a tree is eternally condemned. Cursed. Now, what is that a prophecy of? Who was hung on a tree, eternally condemned, cursed for not his sins, but the sins of the whole world was Jesus. And it's the same word, the same concept that St. Paul says, anyone who preaches another gospel shall be eternally condemned. It's powerful, strong words. All right. Question 10 what had evidently been suggested about Paul and his approach to the gospel by his adversaries. See, here's where you got to kind of learn the art of reading between the lines. Do you know how to do that? You know what it means to read between the lines? When you read the statement and then you ask yourself, okay, now why did that person have to say that? Why did that person have to Why is this person so riled up right now? Why is he doing that? If you read between the lines, I mean, listen to this. Think about this as as you're reading between the lines. Am I now trying to win the approval of men? So read between the lines. What was he being accused of? Trying to win the approval of men. So what does that mean in this discussion? What were the Judaizers saying about St. Paul? They're saying, listen, All he wants is for you to like him. All he wants for you to approve of him. All he wants is to give you an easy gospel that all you need to do is believe in Jesus. You don't have to make any sacrifices. You don't have to obey any rules or laws, right? All you need to do is believe. He's just being nice. He's just trying to win your approval. Can you read that between the lines? So Paul's going to say, listen, I who just told you to go to hell, am I trying to win the approval of men right now? <laughs> Do you see where he's going with this? Right? You got to see this together, reading between the lines. He's, he says, I'm not trying to win your approval. That doesn't matter to me. Am I trying to win your approval or God's? He says. And then he says, or am I trying to please men? Of course not. If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, that word "servant" is that word "doulos" in the Greek, which means a slave. Right? He's saying, "Listen, if I was trying to please men, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have sacrificed my job, sacrificed my position, sacrificed my family. I wouldn't be out here traveling on the road with no house and no home and no food. I wouldn't be being attacked by wild beasts, whipped, persecuted, you know, uh, beaten, stoned to death. I wouldn't be doing any of that if I was trying to please men." Right, but I'm trying to please Christ, and because of that, come these other consequences and things. Right, so do you see the thing? He's, he's he's arguing. I don't care about pleasing you. I care about pleasing pleasing God, and that means I stand on the one and only gospel, saved by grace through faith, not by works. Makes sense. Eleven. How did Paul argue by his questions that he was a man, not a man pleaser, but a faithful slave or servant of Christ? Uh, We don't actually see it here in Galatians, but often he will talk about the things that he sacrificed, the things that he gave up in order to follow Jesus, a slave of Christ. All right, Um, then he goes on in verse 11. I want you to know that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man nor as I taught it. Rather, I received it. By revelation from Jesus Christ. When did that happen? Remember when he got knocked off his high horse on the road to Damascus? Right? That's when he met Jesus for the first time. And again, reading between the lines, we don't believe that's the only time that Jesus Christ revealed himself to St. Paul. Those few words on the road to Damascus, there must have been more uh, in the revelation. There must have been times... It's more I mean, these truths that Paul is saying didn't come to him on the road to Damascus, did they? These came later somehow. We don't know the Paul Harvey rest of the story, but there must have been again other times where Jesus Christ worked to reveal this word, to reveal this truth to Saint Paul. We don't know how, we don't know when, we don't know for how long. We know he was in the desert for many years by himself reading and studying the scriptures perhaps it was then through the word of god that paul rebe- that jesus revealed this to him we don't know but he is very clear that this wasn't his invention this was not his doctrine not his truth his gospel but it was revealed to him by jesus christ Whoa! Well, so 12 at what point was was must we stop trying to please people if we want to be faithful slaves of Christ, who speak the truth in love. So where's that tipping point? You know, because you can speak the truth ugly or you can speak the truth in love. You can speak the truth winsomely, you know, or you can speak the truth argumentatively. Right? Where's the line between loving someone? When do you know when is the time to speak and not speak i've got a little rule here's my little rule i wrote it down whenever you're trying to please them would go counter to the gospel or minimize the gospel's impact then you've gone too far whenever you try to please someone if you're looking for this in your papers not just i wrote it down myself i see you looking on your papers for it sorry I just wrote this down myself. Whenever we're trying to please whenever trying to please someone would compromise the gospel, the good news that we're saved by grace through faith, or would minimize its impact, right, then we need to move away from loving to speaking the truth. For me that's how I draw that line. It's a hard line to draw, by the way. And it's different for every person and every relationship, but it's still a line we need to draw. So, Paul began his letter to the Galatians by expressing his surprise that they'd forsaken the gospel that he proclaimed and adopted a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. He was aiming at counteracting the legalistic influence of the Judaizers, Jewish Christians, who had come to them claiming that the official teaching from Jerusalem was that circumcision and obedience to ceremonial laws were essential if Gentiles wanted to be complete in their life in Christ. Paul had already proclaimed, You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, to validate that good news, Paul had to establish his validity of his apostleship, which was questioned by those who opposed his Gentile approach to the Gentiles. So what did Paul point to as evidence that the gospel he preached was not something he had just made up? What did he say? How did he get it? Revealed. I want you to use that word if you're writing down. It was revealed to him by Christ. Do you know the word we use for revealed? Inspired. Do you see when we say the Bible is the inspired word of God? What we mean it is the revealed word of God, right? So the, the authority that Paul points to is the revealing word of God, Holy Spirit by revelation, and his conversion also by the living Christ. So my great commentator Maxie Dunham, uh, this is my favorite of all commentators, commentate commentaries, said a key to understanding Paul's letters is his conviction that it was not he who legitimized his gospel. It is true because I say it. No, but it was the gospel that legitimized him. Often, St. Paul says, I am an apostle because the gospel is true, not the other way around. You get it? So if God had not revealed his forgiving love in Christ Jesus, we could never, ever have imagined it. That's a, same, that's a C.S. Lewis quote. If God had not revealed his son, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we could never, ever have imagined it. So, how grateful are we that God has indeed revealed the one true gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith, and we know that any other word is a perversion of that true gospel? Amen? Y'all learned something today? Then it was worth your time getting in the rain, right? All right, any last questions or thoughts before we move on? Yes, please. I just have a question when you said, you know, you talked about the TV evangelist, whatever, you know, you're sending money. Is there any difference between, like, you know, you send money to a time of grace or a good party of publishers? You know, that's what Sure, that's a great question. Uh, and I need to I need to be careful. I, I do this bad thing sometimes. I'll paint everybody with the same brush. Not all TV evangelists are bad. Not all TV evangelists are preaching bad. You know, uh, false theology. Some of them are very good, God-loving, wonderful people. So, and same for organizations. There's good organizations and bad. So, what's the key? You have to know what you're giving to. That's the key. You have to understand what is this person saying? What is this church believe? What is this? What's the mission statement of this organization that I'm giving to? Because some of them are really good. Right? Time of grace too. You like time of grace too. Yeah. I like Mr. Mike. Yeah. Right. So, you know, use your, use your spiritual mind, your spiritual sensors, your knowledge of the Bible to always compare what you're hearing. And if it's God pleasing Give graciously, right? For sure. So I'm sorry if I gave the impression all TV evangelists are bad. They're not. Anybody else a word or a thought? Please. I just want to say when you were talking about how the world has changed, um, and when you, whether it's your clinic, your supermarket, wherever you go now, and you have that form to fill out of who you are. Mm-hmm. And now they have to add all these other things. I, I feel for these organizations, <laughs> And it is not because exactly it's their choice. Right. And I think we always have to think about it. They are now being drawn into these requirements. I agree. It's a tough world. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Blessings, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your day.